I know firsthand that when you're raising a challenging, reactive or aggressive dog, that life isn't all unicorns and rainbows. But I also know that it helps to hear other people's stories. My name is Kaisa van Overbeek, and on this podcast, we share stories of the force-free training journeys of amazing dogs who are just a little rough around the edges. everyone welcome to another bonus episode of the rough around the edges podcast although i think i may be changing that name pretty soon because the bonus episodes seem to be becoming kind of an integral part of the podcast and so they're not really so bonus anymore anyway what i wanted to talk about today is training mistakes um how we look at them and especially how we look at them after the fact And maybe I want to cast the net even a little wider and just say, let's look at screw-ups that we make with our dogs in general. Because I've made so many, and you probably have too, because you're human. So, um, training mistakes. And I guess we can include all of the should-haves. You know, all the things that we didn't do textbook style and that we regret if you will. Um, So I thought I'd just give you kind of a a non-exhaustive list of of mine. Um, For example, I didn't socialize um, Rusty in the best way possible because I had a very warped idea of what socialization was supposed to be. And on top of that, not really a a clear understanding of dog uh, body language. Because I thought... It meant letting him meet like as many dogs as possible and disregarding even whether the meats were on leash or not or, um, you know, like what the age of the other dog was or their disposition. I don't even think I asked other guardians whether I could approach or not. Um, you know, like I, I admit to probably having been a my dog is friendly in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> how ignorance can be bliss. Um, another thing is I took him to a lot of different pra- places, you know, just to expose him to lots of different things. But again, like with the body language, like in hindsight, I had no idea of when too much was too much. I mean, I I understood not wanting to flood him and protecting him, be- you know, f- when he was scared but I didn't really know how to tell that he was scared or I didn't really understand like this is where I I take him out like this lip lick is already an indication that he's becoming uncomfortable and I think part of that was because I was seeing it through the lens of everything that I had heard about cattle dogs and blue healers because blue healers are like the toughest dogs on earth you know like they're i don't know they're the epiphany of the macho dog they're not scared of the devil Uh, because you know like if that's what is known of the blue healer if that is the breed then that um has to be him as well i mean (laughs) you know like who would have thought there would be individuals within a breed and that not all dogs conform to that um that standard 
Um, another thing is I didn't know, I think even like to question, for example, the volunteer trainers at my um, local club. And, and honestly, you won't hear me say that word about my club, but um, I didn't consider that they might not know it all. They might not uh, have trained um, to be able to know how to handle like a very, uh, very anxious, a very, in a way, I guess, very soft dog. Not the, I thought, you know, like I had this hard and tough blue healer, but my dog is actually the opposite. And so I didn't even consider that some of the well-meant advice that they were giving me could be wrong and not apply to my dog. I also didn't really, really know, I think, what trigger stacking was or how a dog's character really develops in puberty. Um, you know, so when Rusty bit my friend's dog after a super trigger stacked day, which uh, culminated with him taking the exam like really late in the evening, um, that's, I guess it's more or less similar to the canine good citizen. It isn't really, but you know, it like was a high level obedience exam and with lots of other dogs in a very frustrating sh uh, um, setting. And, you know, when he'd come home, he just had his dinner and then this strange dog comes into the house. And I don't know, there was tons of stuff going on. So when he bit my friend's dog, I was actually shocked because I was like, what's going on here? This is my dog. Um, and Oh, and this one even, like thinking back further um, to when he was younger, there was also this stint where I believed a balance trainer, which I obviously hadn't even heard of the word balanced or uh, you know, shock jocks or any of the terms that are now familiar to me. But I, I visited um, another trainer and, and I saw him train on the field with his dogs and it all looked cool and I just... It was in Austria, and I, I was spending quite a bit of time in Austria, um, apart from also in, being in the Netherlands. So I was like, oh, how cool would it be to be able to train with my dog when I'm in Austria too? So I approached him and asked, like, you know, like, could I, um, you know, train with you and whatnot? And it seemed, you know, like he seemed really good and cool, and his dogs listened, and he was working with someone else, and really no, no red flags went off for me, but he told me that I had no control over my dog, I should put them in a choke chain and not let them defy me, or otherwise, this was a big one, like for sure one of my children would end up getting bitten. And so on on sort of my test um, training with him, or like my, my introductory training or whatever you want to call it, I actually ended up alpha rolling my dog for eating grass. <laughs> on the training field, which was clearly a sign that he was defying me. Like, wait, what? I could go on. As they say in my favorite movie, Top Gun, the list is long, but distinguished. <laughs> they do say it in somewhat of a different context in there, but you know, hey, there are so many things and Here's the thing, I don't think it matters whether you're a first-time dog guardian or a seasoned one, whether you're a beginning dog trainer or a behaviorist and aggression specialist. 
I don't care. You will have screwed up. You will have done things that in hindsight you think, maybe not so great. And I think that the list I gave you a little bit for, for me and Rusty, those were um, more bigger picture, more major things. But it can be in the little things as well. Like It could be something like, oh, I should have quit this training session while I was ahead and not tried to fit that last repetition in. Why did I? And I think very often we tend to end up living there, you know, in that place of regret. And, you know, we're extra hard on ourselves for having made these mistakes. And we go to the place of what ifs a lot. Like, if only I had been a dog trainer, if I'd had more knowledge, I would not have done A, B, C, or D. Like, if, 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 if. Um, When it comes to, you know, being hard on ourselves, there's the, oh, I should not have left my dog at home to go get the groceries because... You know, I knew we hadn't progressed enough with separation anxiety training to let him stay by himself that long, or I I should have gotten a sitter or had the groceries delivered in. Like, pow, pow, pow. We're just hitting on ourselves. Um, Or we continuously come back to a, a particular thought process, and the thoughts just keep spinning round and round and round in our heads, and every time the same thing comes up, and you know, it, it can be major things. It can, you know, maybe be regret over having had to uh, put to sleep a dog that um, maybe now you're thinking, oh, if I hadn't messed him up so much by training the wrong way, would they've been able to stay alive? Or all kinds of, I want to say, unhealthy thought spirals that we end up, you know, invoking over and over again. And like I said, it doesn't have to be anything this major. It can be, it can be little things. It can be, why did I let that dog approach again? Or why am I just this person who can't say, you know, back off? My dog bites, or back off, or no, or why did I let Grandma try and pet my dog? over the head again when I know that they don't like it why don't I stand up to my grandma more I don't know if that's the thing you know but it's whatever it just keeps coming up and up and up and up all the time and it is just not useful I just want to almost say stop just stop doing it and you're gonna say well how? And my answer is kind of always the same. It's by creating awareness around the process first. So let's have a look at that. I can hear you say, well, actually I can't, but I could hear myself say in my brain, hey, but Kaisa, I understood that regret actually has a function. So if you're telling me to stop regretting things, then, you know, wouldn't that be counterintuitive? Also, as you know, like I, I probably wouldn't say stop regretting things because I also advocate and I also say that every emotion is a valid emotion and therefore so is regret. But it's the process after that I want to talk to you about. However, having said that, um, let's just consider what the purpose of regret is or was. So first off, it has been argued that regret 
brings with it an evolutionary advantage for a species that is capable of feeling it, us in this example, because it allows you to learn from previous mistakes and then to remember those mistakes to avoid future related mistakes. I kind of see it as, you know, in our caveman days, we see two paths um, in, in before us and we think, okay, should we take the left one or should we take the right one? And it turns out that when we take the left one, we get to the mountain lion then and we're not really capable of killing the mountain lion to eat it. So um, we are actually very capable of being prey to the mountain lion or saber-toothed tiger or I don't know, whatever the <laughs> animals were back in the day that were actually hunting us rather than the other way around. We would kind of want to remember like, okay, maybe that left fork <laughs> wasn't the one to take that led to peril and danger and sudden death. We might want to take the right one where we could find the berries and that was all great and and dandy. Um, so there, it's, it's learn, it's a mechanism to allow us to learn from previous mistakes. Or I want to say maybe, and I think this is what I want to emphasize, choices. Now, an important part of regret is that it is induced by self-blame. So it is you blaming yourself for the outcome. So whatever the negative result is, you attribute it to the choice that you made, the decision that you made. Um, If it wasn't because of you, if it wasn't because of your choice, then the emotion would probably a different be a different one. So compare that to when you believe that the negative outcome was just the result of circumstance or just sheer bad luck. Probably in that instance, you wouldn't feel regret, but you would rather feel disappointment. So the function of the self-blame is to figure out like what was your contribution to the negative outcome, to the negative result, which all still sounds fair enough. We run into problems though when we start to become unfair to ourselves, um, when we unfairly blame ourselves, when we start to overdo it, and then when we have reactions to the regret that aren't serving us. So... Okay, let's take um, me not knowing all the ins and outs of the socialization, socializing Rusty in in the wrong way. I can blame myself for not knowing more about it. I can blame myself for having done it wrong. And because of that, I can feel regret. Now the question is, does that make sense? Because I didn't know more than I knew at the time like I had done my best to read up on socialization and I knew it was important Um, but at the time I knew precisely the amount that I knew at that time that sounds a little bit philosophical but it is important thinking that I could have known more or should have known more That's me arguing with reality. And more importantly, it's me arguing with this thing that I can no longer change because it's in the past. 
And that is the key. It is in the past. And so when I blame myself for not knowing more, I blame myself for not having made the right choice when there was really never a choice to make. It's like I'm blaming myself for not having taken the right fork in the road instead of the left fork in the road. Whereas there was never a fork. There was never anything to choose from. It was like I should have chosen between a version of myself that knew all about socialization and body language and a version of myself that was the way I was at that time. I'm telling myself that there was a choice for me to make between those two options and that I chose wrong and because of that I feel regret. But the option of knowing more wasn't there. It was never on the table. I knew what I knew. The other option wasn't there. And obviously regret doesn't feel good. It feels icky. Which is the purpose, obviously, because when it feels icky, we're going to do everything we can to avoid feeling it again. However, when we attribute self-blame where there is none, it kind of also becomes hard to learn from it. It's hard to turn the regret into something useful then. Because the wrong choice, like the wrong branch (laughs) or the wrong fork in the road that we blame ourselves for taking we actually never took the wrong choice we made. We actually never made. So that's kind of a catch-22, isn't it? And the other thing that comes with that kind of regret is that we start punishing ourselves for that wrong choice that we made. We scold ourselves internally. We talk kind of mean to ourselves. And why do we do that? Because we kind of believe that that is the way to avoid feeling that regret in the future. You scold yourself, you punish yourself, and that's the way to make sure that you won't do it again. And I kind of go like, oh, if we could only see what we're doing. Positive punishment on ourselves. We're putting the brown collar on our own throat. We tell ourselves, bad human, bad, bad, bad. Oh, well, that's really, honestly, a great incentive to do better next time. It's like with our dogs, you know? I mean, I'm not going to say that positive punishment doesn't work. Because, you know, it does. I don't want to. But the same as with our dogs, you know, like your dog needs to know what you're punishing actually your dog needs to know what they want to do right but just humor me for a second okay like if we're into the positive punishment realm your dog needs to know what you're punishing and also (laughs) um, you know what they say about positive punishment if it doesn't work within one or two tries might as well forget about it well here's the thing you're punishing yourself for something that's actually not real It's for something that you wish you would have done differently in the past that you couldn't never have done differently because by the whole fact of it being in the past, you can't. And I don't think it worked within one or two tries because it's one of those things that we end up 
doing to ourselves over and over and over again. So we think that we have to chastise ourselves to do better in the future. But I want to tell you that it is going to have the opposite effect. You are so much better coming at it from a positive feeling. Because when you feel like, I'm just going to say crap, and all bad about yourself, then your brain just isn't set up for learning. It isn't set up for improving or improvement. Just think about it. When you feel like really crappy, do you go and get up and train your dog and have fun with them? And go like, oh, what can we try today? When you feel really crappy and something in training doesn't go the way you want it to go, do you manage to summon that energy of, ah, okay, that's interesting. That didn't work. Let's try something new. Or do you kind of go like, oh, well, you see, that's what I thought was going to happen. We're doomed. Let's just stop it all now. Go home, scroll social media, open the bottle of wine. I don't know. You know, you see where I'm going with it? You feel bad. You feel like crap. Your brain just doesn't want to learn. And that's actually what we were trying to do. You know, like we're beating ourselves up because we want to do better the next time. But we don't see that by beating ourselves up, we're really achieving the opposite. We think that if we start looking at the past, I want to say favorably, that that's the same thing as letting ourselves get away with it. And again, the opposite is true. Because when you look back to the past kindly, you look upon yourself kindly, you're more forgiving towards yourself, you are so much more likely to step into that role of, okay, where do we go from here? What do we do? And so it feels counterintuitive to, you know, think about our, I'm going to say screw-ups, about our training mistakes favorably but it is the way to go i mean i hope i made that clear (laughs) just listen back to this you know because you think punishing yourself and you think being unfavorable or not not being like thinking about it unfavorably just beating yourself up over it is the way to do better and to as a result make that icky feeling go away and not come back but it's not. It's going to achieve the opposite. So why would you? So that's the second part of the awareness. You know, the first part of the awareness was that it's in the past and the choices that you blame yourself for having, you know, wrongly made or the fork in the road that you have wrongly chosen wasn't there. So that, I want to say, will probably make it a little, <laughs> a little bit easier for you to step out of that ickiness that comes with the regret, um, to not blame yourself so much. So when you can become aware of the fact, ooh, I'm doing that thing where I'm, I think I can rewrite the past, which actually isn't possible. So I might as well stop that, that awareness. And then the second part of the awareness is, oh, I think that I'm beating myself up because I think that that's the way to improve in the future and it's actually counterproductive because when I beat myself up, I'm not in the mood to try anything new. 
it's just my brain trying to make that guilt and that ickiness of regret go away and it thinks that it can do that by me dwelling in the past and going over it over and over again but actually it's wrong so when it comes to regret what are some steps that you can take well i think maybe the first one is listen to this podcast episode and consider if any of this applies to you like trying to change the past trying um to blame yourself for something that you actually aren't to blame for because the choice you thought you made wrongly was never there to make. So that's one thing. The second part is, of course, again, like I mentioned, maybe I just, I'm repeating myself, but hey, uh, you can always switch off this podcast. The, the second part is this, am I beating myself up and why and shouldn't I stop it? Um, But if you want to break it down into sort of actionable steps, I would say as soon as you feel regret, and it it might take some time and some practice um, for you to identify regret when it shows up really as an emotion, um, step one would be to acknowledge it as being like, oh, I'm feeling regret right now. And just go into your body and feel it and acknowledge it. And then when you do that, you can kind of take step two and it's consider where the regret is coming from. Ask yourself simply, like, what am I regretting? What's the thing? And then at least you know that part. Then the next step is, okay, but is this one of those situations? Like, am I being fair to myself? How would I treat a friend or what would I say to a friend in a similar situation and the by being am i being fair to myself it's both this okay was it a real choice or am i trying to fight you know like am i trying to change the past which isn't possible but it's also like we have a tendency to be extra super mean to ourselves when it comes to our friends we tend to be more generous so that's why i also want to say okay ask yourself like if a friend would be telling me about this would i say yeah, you're definitely to blame. This is it. Or would I be much kinder? What would I tell my friend? Um, and then tell yourself that. And I think that is also what I what I would want to kind of then end with is ask yourself this question. Am I being kind to myself? Because we don't have to be unkind to ourselves to do better in the future. That is the thought that you can get rid of. You don't have to punish yourself or chastise yourself to do better in the future. You're much better off being kind to yourself. And this last point of always being better off being kind to yourself, I just want to drive that home with maybe a little bit of an extreme example because I can just hear you say, well, but what if it was really, really bad? What if I let my dog off leash somewhere and they bit another dog they got into a fight and they bit another dog or god forbid they bit another human not another human obviously if it's dog versus human but you know what i'm getting it was what we would term bad would you still be better off being kind to yourself and the answer is yes because even if you're beating the if you're beating yourself up for example and you're feeling terrible 
about it and you keep rehashing the incident, consider how you feel and consider the actions that you would take. So imagine you would want to um, go and talk to the person, look them up, uh, maybe in the hospital or get in contact with them to arrange insurance things or apologize or any of those things. Do you do them when you're feeling miserable or do you then try to avoid them? And when you think kindly of yourself, do you believe you're more inclined to show up towards that other person or towards that other dog guardian the way you would like? That's kind of really what I want you to think about. Because again, you think, oh, but in bad situations, I really need to beat myself up about it. And I want I want you to challenge that thought. I really want you to think about, does it serve me? Does it help me show up the way I want to show up in the world if I beat myself up? Even if really, really, really bad things have happened. And I want to bet that the answer is most likely no, if you really, really think about it. Okay, that might have been kind of a morbid ending for this episode. Um, but I guess the overall thing is mistakes happen. Stuff happens. Don't beat yourself up about it. And I know that when I say don't, um, then it's actually very hard to not think about the thing that comes after don't. So I'm going to formulate it positively. When stuff happens, always choose to be kind to yourself. All right. See you next time. Hear you next time, I should say. If you want to stop living in the land of regret and start to be kinder to yourself, then you will want to join my coaching program. Just go to my website to sign up for a consult and to get going. It's kaisafanoverbake.com. If you don't know how to spell that, just go look at the podcast details and you will see how to spell my name. And also, can I ask you, if you like listening to this podcast, would you maybe consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Uh, Because reviews really help to boost the podcast in the ranking. And it will make sure that we can help more people by helping them feel, as I always say, less alone.